0: The GBC Sermon podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website. Here, Good
1: morning church here and online uh, this morning's Bible reading is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we'll be reading verses 1 to 8 There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace.
2: Thank you, Craig. Good morning. It's good to have you here this morning, whether you're joining us here on site or online, great to have you with us. Um, A bit of a dating question, how many of you heard the tune by the birds in your head while you're listening to that? Yeah, a few of you, there you go, we're all old. Um... Apparently, there's a time to grow old, so we're in good stead, right? Uh, the birds took, that, uh, took those lyrics, very cleverly added the refrain from chapter one, which is quite clever, but ended up making it an anti-war th- song, which it's not. Uh, the author of this little poem, uh, who identifies himself as the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, is here reflecting on a really significant and important component of wisdom, and that is Timing. I think we've all made big decisions in our lives, and there's kind of two parts to it, right? On the one hand, you have to kind of do the, uh, the benefit analysis, right? you got to do the thinking about, uh, do I have enough money to do this? Do we ha- have the resources to accomplish this? Uh, are these the sorts of things that we should be doing right now? And that leads to the second, which is about the timing, isn't it? It's one thing to work out whether this is a beneficial or advantageous activity. It's quite another... To figure out whether it's the right time. Have you ever done the right thing, made a good decision, but your timing was so bad it was a disaster? I hate that. It is the most frustrating mistake to make because you look at the paper and you kind of go, I've done all the work. This should have worked, but my timing was awful. Well, the author here is reflecting on time and gives us a whole series of doublets is frustrated with timing as well. He goes on to say that, the God, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We understand how important timing is. We know that if we know the right thing to say or to do, we also need to get the timing right or it's a disaster. But, and here's the kicker, no one can figure out what the time is. God has told us we know that timing is critical, but for the love of God, we just can't seem to get it right, which leads him to his basically his hypothesis, which is that everything is meaningless, which is a story for another time. But I wanted to begin with this as we think about what it means for us to do the one thing, because here the author is reflecting on timing, but we don't ask the question of timing right away. But we actually are driven by a different quest. And the reason why we are driven by a different quest is because of the answer that our society gives to the question of when is the right time? You know the answer, don't you? There's a time for everything, a time for every season under heaven. When is that time? Right now. When should we do everything? Now! Now! And so what we look for is not timing. We look for balance. That's the great quest of our society, to find balance, to figure out how to balance our lives. I mean, think of the metaphors we use. How many balls can I keep in the air? Right? And what is the thing about juggling? Well, all the balls have to kind of stay in my hand for the same amount of time, in the air for the same amount of time. There's some balance, and if I get it right, it looks beautiful. Or we spin plates. How many plates do you have spinning at the moment? Well, we spin them and we spin them. We look for the wobbly ones. We fire them up again. Occasionally get a new bamboo pole and put another plate on. Or the quest for efficiency, with which this is tied up with. You know, the first week of this series, I used um, a metaphor that's uh, made popular, at least for me, with Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? The whole idea that if you want to kind of make sure you get everything into your life, you need to kind of put the big rocks in the bucket first, and then the smaller rocks, and then the gravel, and then the pebbles, and then the sand. But what's the end result? That we have a really, really, really full bucket that everything is in it. I haven't left anything outside the bucket. I've got the big important stuff, and I've got the stuff that's mostly important. I've got some things that are mildly important, and I've got some trivial stuff in there. The point is I've got it all in. I've got them all in the air. They're all spinning. Balance. I want balance in my life. Now, the causes for this are pretty significant ones. Uh, We are being thrust forward in the teeth of a gale because our culture has in many ways set us up for this, right? You can talk about it from the perspective of, say, capitalism, which is grounded in itself in modernity, the endless quest for improvement, Whether it be big leaps forward or incremental leaps forward, we need to be improving. Things need to be increasingly efficient, increasingly precise, increasingly more productive. We might think about it from the perspective of consumerism which gets us on a treadmill of consuming, first to fill our needs and then to fulfill our desires, which we don't know where those desires came from, but probably the marketing department of some company, but we're running to get them, and now consumerism is just really about fulfilling all of our wishful fantasies. Or we can talk about it from the perspective of individualism, where in our society the responsibility for becoming someone or something is placed solely at your feet. And because it is placed solely at your feet, we desperately try to fill our lives with every single opportunity. We try to keep as many balls in the air just in case one of them will help us become who we want to become. And we run the horrible risk in the midst of a capitalistic, consumeristic, individualistic society of allowing our lives to be defined by our experiences and our possessions. These are the winds that push us forward. You're familiar with them, even if you've never noticed them before. And the outcome, of course, is pretty tragic. We end up kind of skipping through life, don't we? Just kind of shallowly running across the very surface. I mean, just think about juggling. I wish I could juggle 15 things. It'd be very impressive as an illustration in the sermon. I can't. But think about juggling. You're just you're keeping all the balls in the air. That's the whole point. And I don't have any time to take one of the balls that falls into my hand and think about it. All I can do is kind of flick it to my other hand and get it back up in the air because the next one's coming. I can't take the ball and pause and play catch with somebody. Or grab, gather a group of people and have a cricket game, or, better yet, a ball hockey game? Can't do any of those things. I just have to keep everything in the air. I don't eat food on the plates that I'm balancing and spinning. God forbid, that would just get really messy. I just have to keep them going. And so we skim through life just trying to do everything all at once. And it makes meaningful connection really hard. I don't have any time to pay any attention to you when I'm keeping the balls in the air apart from occasionally glancing over and thinking you probably have more balls in the air than I do because there's something heroic about having lots of balls in the air isn't there there's something really heroic about having lots of spinning plates there's something heroic about packing our life full of everything and being able to say look I've got a all in the air it came up in our strategic directions last year didn't it what do we long for? Relational connection. What's our biggest obstacle? We're too busy. Well of course we are, of course we are. How, how can I build meaningful connection when I don't have any time to even look at you to actually count how many balls you might be balancing because I don't wanna drop any of mine. And see this is the wonderful irony of being so frantically busy. The irony is that in the midst of our busyness, we are incredibly lazy. We are. There's something heroic about having all the balls in the air. What's a lazy person? A lazy person is someone who doesn't have any balls in the air or plates spinning, whose bucket is only half full. (laughs) We think about the the example of the slothful person in Proverbs as the one who rests and naps. But the reality is that the definition of laziness, as it was defined by the church fathers and theologians, who described laziness as one of the seven deadly or capital sins from which many other sins are birthed, the definition that they gave to it was not doing nothing, it was about doing unimportant things. The slothful person is not slothful because they are resting. They are slothful because they are resting during harvest. Now is not the time to rest. Now is the time to get up with the sun and work all day until the sun sets, until all the harvest is in the barns. Then rest, because rest is good in its proper place. When I did some reading on the seven deadly sins, one of the really enjoyable components of it was actually looking up artistic representations of the seven deadly sins, personifications, where people were representative of these sins. And one of my favorite representations of the sin of slothfulness was of a, a young woman dressed in a blue gauzy dress, swinging on a swing, and blowing bubbles. And I thought, that is perfect. She is terribly busy. Have you ever tried to swing on a swing with just one hand? Right, that takes some work. And bubbles, man, those things disappear like nothing else. You've gotta just keep blowing. She is terribly busy swinging on a swing and blowing bubbles. Ironically, we can be so busy that we can be swinging on a swing and blowing bubbles with our entire life. I'm reading the book at the moment, struggling through a book. It's philosophical. I'm out of my depth pretty quick with philosophy. It's called (laughs) Liquid Modernity by a fellow named Zygmunt Bauman. Uh, sociologist um, and philosopher who died a few years ago, and um, some of the insights about capitalism, consumerism, and individualism um, I owe to him. But he also talks about a particular slogan that he reckons is absolutely perfect for our day and age. And it's little—it's two little phrases, two clauses, right? Have car, will travel. That was originally uh, a want ad. Someone was looking for work, and that's what they put in the paper: Have car, will travel. And he says, that's a perfect demonstration of our day and age. Why? Metaphorically, we all have the car. We have the means to do things. We have education and opportunities and we have wealth and we have networks and we have all sorts of things. We have the car. We can go places. We can become things. We can be someone. We just have no idea where we're going. We have no destination. Have car, we'll travel. And part of his argument so far, if I've read him correctly, is that in the past our society used to give us some destinations give us some places where we should go, some places that were worth going to, but that those formerly solid directions have now become a little bit more liquid and we are left to become whoever we want to become with nobody telling us where we ought to go or who we ought to become. And that's part of the reason why we so frantically include as many things as we can because we don't want to miss out, not on the experience, but we don't want to miss out on becoming who we are supposed to become if only we knew who that was. If we are going to recapture any sense of being able to turn to Ecclesiastes 3 and ask the same question about timing, we are going to have to rediscover purpose. Because once we have purpose, that helps us make some sense of what we're doing. And hear me now, believe me later, this is not our purpose. Keeping balls in the air is not your purpose. Now, every so often, we find some purpose, right? A project, usually. I'm gonna run a half marathon, I'm gonna play a season of ice hockey, so I need to put that ball down and put that ball down so I can pick that ball up and that ball up. That, that's not any better, is it? We need to reunite And gain clarity around our purpose. And for us, our purpose is to courageously take up the invitation of God the Father to participate in his grand plan to restore and renew all things in Christ Jesus through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. That. Not this. And this is perfectly embodied in Jesus. You ever, um, you ever notice Jesus' timing? He is not balanced, but he's got great timing. He knows exactly when he should start his public ministry age 30. Odd for a society in which young men kind of entered into adulthood much, much younger. 18 years of kind of waiting around? What, wasn't there a bit of a rush on this? Nope, perfect timing. He knew when it was the perfect time to leave behind a very promising mission field in Capernaum where everybody was looking for him and to go elsewhere and preach the gospel. He knew when it was the time to go with Jairus on a very urgent journey to his house to raise his daughter from her deathbed. But he also, at the very same time, knew the time to stop, to look to the crowd and say, who touched me with faith? And to wait on that very urgent journey until a woman came forward where Jesus was able to hear her story of 12 years of debilitating hemorrhage. To say to her daughter, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And then to proceed to Jairus's house. And he knew the time to be absolutely flat out Chapter six in Mark's gospel, we're told that the apostles had returned from their journey and their missionary journey to tell Jesus what was happening and we're told that there's so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Now a life coach today would look at his schedule and say, Jesus, you're running yourself into the ground. Your ministry won't last more than three years if you keep this up. He knew the time to be frantically busy And he knew the time to withdraw. Because Jesus was clear on his purpose. And he was intimate with the Father. He was clear on his purpose. He knew why he had come. He knew what he was there for. And he was intimate with the Father. At key points in Jesus' ministry, he withdraws and spends time in prayer. And while there may very well have been some requests made, I suspect that a great deal of it was listening, making sure that he was on the right track, that he was moving in the right direction, that he was keeping in pace with the Holy Spirit, that he was keeping in step with the Holy Spirit rather than allowing the pressures around him to force him into different places. The promising mission field in Capernaum, when everyone is looking for him, when there's an opportunity for him to do something amazing right there, he withdraws to pray. And when his disciples find him, he says, we have to go someplace else. This promising mission field is not where I'm supposed to be. He was clear on his purpose and he was intimate with the Father. I very optimistically entitled this sermon, Do the One Thing. As if we could get it down from that to one. Maybe we could try doing one less thing. Maybe two. Because there's a, something that's quite helpful when we manage to put down one or two of the balls. that the whole rhythm slows down just a little bit. Gives us a little bit of margin, doesn't it? Gives us just a little bit more time to reflect on our purpose, reflect on what we're doing, to consider as well how we might foster and nurture intimacy with the Father. And if we are able to do this, believe that there may be an opportunity for us to turn upwind. I have it on reasonable authority that it is possible to sail upwind. It requires some skill, it requires a great deal of focus, it requires some experience, but you can do it. Our world is dying for lack of wisdom, because our world is chasing balance instead of clarity on purpose and intimacy with the Father. If we could begin to sail upwind, if we could begin to be those who are able to ask the questions of is this the right time, oh, that would be appealing to our wider world, don't you think? If we were able to live wisely, with a bucket that was just full of the good stuff, and the balls that were just the most critical, in order that we might be about the plans and purposes of God in his timing. I reckon people would flock to the church to find out how in the world we're doing it. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to introduce them to the Father? Who invites them into purpose. Not just filling their lives with so much stuff. Not just filling their lives with experiences and things. Recognizing that there's so much more to who we are and who we have called to be than what our world currently drives us towards. So at the start of this year... As we seek to be on purpose and create some margin, to be careful of the state of our soil that we might hear the word of God to us, as we're seeking to be the Christian, not a Christian, as we're seeking those that God may be sending us to, finding the one that might be the person that God wants us to to really invest in. Can I also offer you this challenge? to live wisely. You'll have to work out how you foster intimacy with the Father. I got some ideas, but we can work that out. You're gonna to have to figure out which bits you need to do now and which bits you need to do later. There is a time to be frantically busy. It's not all the time, but there is a time to be frantically busy. And there are times to rest let us live wisely to do the thing that God has called us to. And perhaps it might be worth just giving you one last encouragement. The gale force winds that blow us forward also threaten often to swamp us, don't they? Most of us feel swamped at some point in time or another. Remember the resources that we have with us in the boat. Remember the story in Mark chapter 4? The disciples and Jesus are going across the Sea of Galilee. A storm blows up, as was fairly common on the Sea of Galilee, big change of heights and whatnot. At any rate, it blows up, and the wind's blowing and howling a gale, and water's coming in. They're threatened to be swamped, and Jesus is asleep. Remember that story? And the disciples wake Jesus up and they say to him, Love this question. Don't you care if we drown? What a question to ask Jesus. Don't you care? Hmm. He's like, Yeah, I might. I might care. Right? And he gets up and he says, Be quiet, be still. And the wind dies down, and the waves stop, and everything gets really super calm. And the disciples are like, What the heck? That's the Greek. <laughs> and Jesus then asks them two questions. Why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? And I'm pretty sure Jesus knew the answer to that question in terms of the reality of the storm. But I think it leads into that second question of, don't you have any faith? Because in the boat with them was the Son of God who had authority over the waves. He doesn't even do anything fancy. They wake him up and he stands up and... Just knock it off. He doesn't shout, doesn't wave his arms around, he just speaks. Be still. And everything is still because all of creation is listening for his voice. And even in the midst of a storm, as the wind rips his voice away, it hears their Lord speak. You still have no faith? You think I came to drown in the Sea of Galilee? You guys sort it out. I'm going back to bed. Jesus is with us. Do you have faith in that? because it will require faith to resist our cultural voices and begin to sail upwind. Choosing the non-heroic path of not being so frantic, but instead living wisely. We need to help each other with this because I don't really have any answers beyond that. I know where we need to get to. We need to help each other get there. I'm going to invite Lex and the team. They're going to um, lead us in a song. It kind of mixes the metaphors, oceans. I think it was talking about Peter getting out of the boat, but you'll work with me. The idea, I think, behind this is that we are being called to trust Being called to trust that the journey that God is taking us on, that he's calling us into, the purpose that he has given to us is worth it. So can I invite you to stand? I'll pray for us and be a couple members of our staff and elders here down the front. If you would like someone to pray for you during this song or after the service, please do take advantage of that. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, I do want to thank you that you are with us in all that we face. And I pray that for um, us as individuals and as a community of faith, that we might live wisely. There are some incredible uh, forces that are just blowing us forward, forces that unless we are really, really intentional, uh, they'll just keep driving us over the ocean. I pray that you would clarify our purpose and that we would be able to foster an intimacy with you. And Heavenly Father, we know that you are a God of compassion and mercy. And so we would ask that whatever small steps we might take to do that, that you might meet us more than halfway. That we might simply turn and find you right there. And that as we hear more clearly from you, that you might free us from the frantic pace of our lives. That we might do the one thing the thing that you are calling us to each and every moment of each and every day. I pray that you would help us individually and as a community of faith to live wisely as Jesus did. For we ask this in his name. Amen.
0: We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.